Bibles and get ready to get a blessing from the book. Brother Ingalls, come preach to us. It is exciting for me to see these young adults. I mean, good night. I just had flashbacks, and I wasn't even in Vietnam, and I'm not taking drugs. I had flashbacks when all these... When they, I remember when they were all down here, little tiny squeaky voices and, and everything, and they've turned into some uh, real people. <laughs> I'm going to do the typical missionary thing, missions conference, turn to Acts chapter 1. <laughs> so I'm going to go where I'm familiar, because everything's still a little bit fuzzy tonight. Uh, <laughs> it's actually been that way for, uh, for a couple of days. Saturday, like I said, we, we got up, left for the uh, airport about 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, Saturday was just, it was just one of those days. It, it was one of the longest Saturdays I've had because we started over there and then it continued on for several more hours over here. Yeah. So we got, we got more than 24 hours full of Saturday. We got, I don't know, 32 hours worth of Saturday. Well, I get to, <laughs> we get to the airport and uh, <laughs> Cheryl turns around and looks at me, and the uh, pastor's standing right there, and she says, do you have your shirt on inside out? <laughs> I said, no, why? I've got a, you know, had a polo shirt on. And pastor says, well, I noticed the emblem was kind of different. And I looked, and sure enough, I put my polo shirt on inside out. That was, that was, that was the start of my day. I said, I don't care. And she says, you know, deep down, that that really bothers you. Well, no, it didn't. I, didn't, I really didn't care. I'm tired. <laughs> I just, just put me on the plane, either give me some coffee or let me take a nap or whatever. And so we, we get on the plane. I didn't change it. I just left it that way, you know. It took them an hour and a half to realize that I had it on inside out. And uh, so we, we get on the plane. And we, when we've got the layover there in Munich, I did go ahead and take my shirt off and turned it inside. I went to the bathroom. I didn't, I didn't do it out there in the plane. And uh, turned, turned my shirt inside out and... And then it was just one, I, I can't hear, you know, the ladies walking around, and I'll have the peanuts. They haven't served peanuts in years. <laughs> it's pretzels. Uh, I, so I, I, need, I need somebody. I, Jeremy keeps saying, Dad, you need somebody to travel with you because you're absolutely worthless. You can't hear. You don't know what's going on half the time. Uh, it, it was just one, one stumble after another. Fortunately, I just went blank on what all it was. All I remember is at oh, uh, I go to pay for the uh, the parking ticket, uh, and I'm trying to stick it. <laughs> I'm trying to stick it in the credit card slot. <laughs> well, that that didn't work. The the last big faux pas that I did, and he probably shouldn't tell this in church. And the microphone's not on yet, so there. I'm waiting for the luggage to come around, so the luggage is coming out, and it's going around and around, and I get my luggage and get Cheryl's luggage, get Pasha's luggage, because he got held up. So I said, well, I need to go to the bathroom. So we're going to go to the bathroom. And we come out, Alan and Liz brought our car down, and so uh, we, <laughs> we come out, and, of course, when you, when you come out of the terminal, there's all these people like you just standing around. Some of them got signs. They're looking for friends. They're looking for relatives. They're looking for people who they don't know. And so I see Alan and Liz, and so I walk over, and I head to them like that. Give them each a big hug, and Cheryl says, your zipper is down.
couple on the back of the prayer card, but I did update the countries and the uh, cities we've been in. It's our, I updated it before I left, and it's already outdated in that we have now started, uh, we've now started 11 churches, and we have four new Bible studies going on, and we've encouraged uh, 32 churches. So, But it's a nice couple. It's a nice-looking couple. He even has, uh, even has darker hair in that one. Acts chapter 1. Let's all stand if, if you're able and just uh, look at a couple of verses here and we'll get started tonight. You're waving at me. It, I thought I turned it on. Good night. It was. Okay, we're in church, people. We're in church. <laughs> verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while he, they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. It was mentioned in Sunday school and in the morning service about the second coming of the Lord. I'm not going to go in or to dwell, dwell on that, but I'm going to dwell a little bit on the uh, commandment that he gave to us uh, to be witnesses in, in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. But the, the title of the message, if I, if I had a title, why stand ye gazing? Why, why are you just standing there? You know, I, I gave you something to do. When, when, we, when we give our children some direction, we expect them to respond. Uh, not stand there with the mouth open, not, not trying to think of something else. Why Stand ye gazing. Father, I ask in these next few minutes that we're gathered here together tonight that you'd give me a clarity of mind for a little while and a intelligent speech that we would be able to accurately portray your word and your desire for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we all know. We could, we could jump back and we could read all the, all the verses back there in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore into, go ye therefore into all the nations... Uh, teaching to them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, 46 and 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. It doesn't make any difference whether you've got freedom of religion or if you're in an Islamic country or if you're in a communist country. The response is supposed to be the same. Somebody needs to go. Now, we're not going to go into Islamabad or someplace like that and openly preach on the street because uh, it's a very short message when you get in there. But they're now beginning to open up radio waves and radio stations in there. There are some nationals that are in there 
preaching the gospel. I've met, uh, uh, I've met two of them just in the last year. We had one of them up at Wildwood Baptist Church that he's got several radio programs going on into these Islamic countries in their language because he used to be one of them. There's also a guy out of Australia that's doing the same thing. So the, the gospel message is getting in there, but it's getting in there through the radio. But there are a few, a handful, very hidden churches that are slowly talking to people, passing out some literature. So the gospel is going out into all, all the world. Uh, but what is our responsibility? When it says surrender, sacrifice, and sin, what part are you? As uh, Brother Matthews, or pastor, one of them said today, we, we should be involved in all the parts. First, it starts with getting saved. I'm going to start at square one. I'm assuming... Everybody in here is saved, born again, washed in the blood. But that may not be the case. Uh, the reason I say that is because I sat in a good independent Baptist church for four and a half years and heard the same message, same kind of messages that you do. And I said, I did that. But there was no joy, there was no fruit and there was no change. But I prayed the prayer. I prayed what the pastor told me to pray. But I prayed with my preconceived religious mind of we, when, the church that I grew up in. We had prayers for everything. We had Christmas prayers. We had Thanksgiving Day prayers. We had breakfast prayers. We had wedding prayers. We, we, we had funeral prayers. We had literally praise, prayers for everything. So when he said, Larry, you don't want to go to hell, I said, nobody in their right mind would want to do that. And I'd been in church long enough, even though it was not a Bible-preaching church, that I'd heard enough stories, I'd read enough Scripture, I'd had enough uh, Sunday school teaching that I knew that there was a God. I was foolish enough for about a year living this really wicked life down in Dallas, Texas, where I, I claimed I was an atheist. <laughs> back, in, back in the back of my mind, I thought, that's not right. That, that's just not right. And uh, so I finally got through that phase of my life. But when I was confronted with the gospel, and the pastor said, Larry, all you need to do is pray this prayer. Okay, let me pray it. And so I, I did pray it, but again, there should be, unless you're five years old, there should be a change, there should be joy, there should be peace, there should be a change in your life that's going to take place somehow, somewhere. Uh, I didn't get saved until I was 32, so there was a lot of changing that took place in my life when I got saved. But when the, when the children are 5, 6, 10 years old, there's probably not going to be a lot of change, but there will be some change, there will be some desire, there will be some interest. It's not just a duty. It's not just a, well, we got, we got to go to church or whatever. It's, there's going to be a change. So are you saved? Once you're saved, then we get to work on the surrender, the sacrifice, and the sending. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. I want you to go into Jerusalem, uh, uh, Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the world. Brings us right back here to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Well, how, how can I be a witness? How can, I, how can I be involved in missions, and how can I be a witness literally around the world? By your faith, promise, missions giving. By making a mission trip, uh, somewhere along the week, uh, week uh, I will probably give you some suggestions of things to be able to do for Joy as she gets ready to haul suitcases over. One of the things I'm going to say right off the top is give her some money to be able to pay for the extra baggage. 
when we started hauling suit, uh, the, your first suitcase, pretty much any place you fly, is free. So is your backpack or your carry-on, as long as it, it, as, as long as it fits. Anything after that, depending upon the airline, goes anywhere from, from uh, $70 to $150 a bag. When you're going to Europe, it's $150 a bag for an extra suitcase. So... Miss Joy needs to find out how much the extra suitcases. So if you show up with six jars of peanut butter and four pounds of M&M peanuts, you just filled up a half a suitcase that's going to weigh a ton that she has to haul around, and somebody's going to have to pay for that extra bag, okay? Okay? Okay. I realize we're in church. I realize it's Sunday night, but I'm the one that's tired, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Get you all a cup of coffee and a Mountain Dew. <laughs> but there's surrender. Lord, what do you want me to do? Pastor already talked about it. Pray over your pray over your faith promise. What, Lord, what do you want to do? Lord, we're, we're pretty maxed out. Things, things are pretty tight. Ask him what he wants you to do. Cheryl, I, I cheat. I'm the head of the house, so I, I can cheat about this. But Cheryl and I have been doing this for 40-some years. And so what I do is I, I wait till the uh, near the end of the missions conference to say, okay, what figure did the Lord give you? <laughs> Don't ever ask me that. I'm asking you that. Did you know out of all those years, almost every single time the Lord gave us the exact same amount? There was a couple times her faith was either that or she had better ears than I did. Her faith was a little bit larger than mine was. But there should be unity. But it's one way that we, we write it off as your love for the Lord. And it should be that way. I mean, stop and think about it. We could be living in one of those countries. Waiting for somebody to show up. One of the things you discover as you start making mission trips is there's not just village after village. There is city after city after city waiting for somebody to show up. Now, they don't realize that they're waiting for somebody to show up. But that's our responsibility. And it's nice to have radio waves, but it's a whole lot nicer to have one-on-one, eyeball-to-eyeball confrontation trying to give them a John Romans and some Christian literature, a a tract or something, to get them to stop and think, is there really a God? And if there is a God, what do do I need to do about it? That's why he said, I want you to go into into all the world. Uh, So it, it starts with being surrendered and say, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. I'm willing to sacrifice. Now, when, when you first start out, it's not going to be a big sacrifice. I mean, to be quite honest, it was, uh, it was baby steps. Uh, don't anybody flash back to that ungodly movie of baby steps, but I thought it was funny. Anyway, you start out. You may start, <laughs> you may start out with $3. You may, good, I'm glad that Happy didn't get that, that reference. Is there, what, was, what was the movie is he talking about? <laughs> You start out with $3, you start out with $5 because that's all you have or that's all the faith you have. But eventually, I'm not saying you're going to leap to $100 a week. 
That's foolishness. It says give out of what you have. Now, Brother Matthews, I believe, said, you know, cut back. You know, we, we took care of everything, and then we had to decide, okay, what are we going to cut back on? There, there's some sacrifice there. But when it gets right down to it, I, I can't ever really remember a time saying, you know what, we've gone without because we gave to missions. I can't, I, I, that, that thought never crossed my mind until just then. Huh. We didn't, we didn't get to go to uh, Buffalo Wild uh, Culver. You guys have Culver's here yet? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Fried cheese curds. You've not lived till you've had fried cheese curds. Anyway, I, I've never sat there and, and felt like, oh, woe is me. We're so poor. We're so broke. Because I gave to missions. It's an investment. <laughs> it... <laughs> I am laying up for the future. He talked about rewards this morning. I, I don't give to get a reward, but I know that is the best investment I have ever made in my life when, when I give my tithes, plural, and my faith promise and my offerings. does a whole lot better than any, any uh, follow-up that I'm going to have. With Cheryl and I, we, we sat down and we figured it out. We are good for about six months, and then we're going to have to move in with the Brennan stalls and live in their basement. Because Jeremy's basement's full and he's not letting us come over yet. <laughs> and then sending. If you're not going to go, send somebody. I saw a handful, of, more than a handful, two handfuls of young people up here need to get to the mission field someplace. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come back and be missionaries and pastors and Christian school teachers and all, all those kind of things, but they will see the need. It's, as Pastor talked, it's not the same looking at it on, on, on pictures. It's not the same looking at it on, uh, you know, on, on a video as it is when you go over there and you meet Cornell and his wife and you spend some time with them and the girls. When you get to know the missionary. If there's a downside to uh, going on a courier trip, is you don't really get to know the missionary. You get to know the people that are on your team. You get to know the people that are on the trip, but you don't really get that one-on-one, -on -one long-term contact with the missionary going and sitting in their living room and talking to them and going and following them throughout their day and saying, what, what else can we do? What can we do? We're here for a, a whole week or we're here for a week and a half or a couple. Of, what is it that you want us to do? A lot of times they just want to visit. A lot of times it's just, you know, let's sit here and drink, uh, drink coffee and let's talk. I haven't had anybody to talk English with in so long I, I haven't forgotten it, but it's so good to hear just somebody to come and sing the songs of Zion with. Somebody to have extra around the, the table to be able to pray. Just the fellowship makes the difference. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How shall they hear except they be sent? And bring, and bring glad tidings of good things. Turn your Bibles to uh, John chapter 2. There was a saying, these... Uh, Cute young people running around here a few years ago. They had these, they had these armbands on. WWJD. What would Jesus do? I used to laugh about. It. Isn't that cute? They come in multiple colors. You can get red ones and blue ones and yellow ones. What would Jesus do? 
But that's the truth. What would Jesus do? What is it that Jesus wants you to do in, in these areas right here? What does Jesus want you to do with your life? There was a point in my life where I had a life. I already had a plan. I already had a program. I already had a, I already had a job. I already had things worked out as to what I was going to do. And the Lord said, and I kept saying, Lord, is there anything else you want me to do? And he says, as a matter of fact, yes, there is. I want you to start teaching Sunday school. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't talking about something like There are things that you can do right here, right now, that you're not doing. And I, I don't know what that is. But if you listen to that still, small voice, and you read his word, he'll say, here, here's your next step. Here's something else that you can do. Here's a way that you can be an encouragement to somebody right here in the church, or somebody, several somebody's in the community or whatever, that uh, he would have you to do. Well, what would Jesus do? If he's going to give us instructions to go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost, I had this thought one day. I wonder what he did. Glad you asked and had the same thought. Uh, John chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, he's, just, he's at the uh, marriage of Cana of Galilee. He, uh, he turned the water into wine. That's, a, that's an interesting discussion with a lot of people. But verse 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. They believed on him, but it was kind of like Larry praying the first time. They believed on him, but they didn't get all of it. Uh, the, you're going to find that phrase or something similar to that all the way through the Gospel of John. After, that, after this, he went down to Capernaum. They, we pronounce it Capernaum. After being over there in Israel, they pronounce it Capernaum. He and his mother and his brother and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, when you're pretty much any place in Israel, we always, our children, my children have absolutely no sense of direction. Uh, Dad went, when you come up to Tennessee, I'm not coming up to Tennessee, I live in Wisconsin. I'm coming down to Tennessee. Dad, when you come up to North, no, I'm not coming up to North Carolina, I'm coming over to North Carolina, down to North Carolina. But in Israel... Jerusalem is up on the top of a mountain, Mount Moriah. So literally, no matter where you are in Israel, uh, whether you're in the north, the south, the east, the west, you end up having to go up to Jerusalem because it's up on top of a, a small mountain. So uh, he went up to Jerusalem. What happens when he gets there? Chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the uh, Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. They have a little short discussion there about water and, and all that, but he gets down here, verse 7, uh, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born Again, so when Jesus starts his earthly ministry, the first place he goes is to Jerusalem, and the first person he ends up talking to is this very religious man, a very religious Jew, and lets him know, you need to be born again. There, there, there's more to it. Things are about to change, and I'm here to explain how they're going to change, and then to fulfill all of that. Uh, Nicodemus, uh, down here... Uh, I read verse 7. Nicodemus shows up at the, end of his, uh, at the end of Jesus' life in chapter, what is it, 19, verse 39, when uh, Jesus is, 
is uh, crucified and they would take his burial down. Nicodemus was the one that talk, came and brought all the, all the uh, spike nard and all that for the preparing of his body. That's why I think that's when Nicodemus got saved is right there. So the first person that Jesus begins to witness to and talk to and explain things to is a very strong Jewish man that's uh, very involved in the, uh, in the, in the teachings. Sorry, things, <laughs> things just started shorting out right there. <laughs> what is it? What, what are you saying? What are you trying to say? Just, Larry, just spit it out. I'm trying. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, whosoever, doesn't say you have to be from a certain country, a certain language, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How people can believe that they lose their, uh, uh, that they, they don't have eternal life or they lose their salvation, don't read the Bible. Somebody has to teach you that. You're not going to get it from just, just reading it. And then it goes on there, For God sent not a son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It doesn't say that the world through him might go to heaven. There's some, there's some preaching that's going on around that, that they don't really deal with the sin. I don't say you need to repent of every ungodly deed that you ever did in your life. But he didn't die so that we could go to heaven. He died because of our sin. And that needs to be made very clean and very pure and very forceful. It's because of our sin that he died. Getting to go to heaven is the gravy on the biscuit. It's the frosting on the cake. It's, it's the bonus. He died because of our sin. Don't ever shortchange the huge price that Jesus paid for your life and for my life. That's what puts the joy in my life. That's what puts the some singing that takes place. It's all I can do every once in a while. I had, had it happen this morning. I was ready to stand up and shout and wave my hand, but I would have scared you all to death. Just what God has done, I know me just like you know you. And let's just be honest with ourselves. He didn't get any big bargains. He died because of our sin. And if it would have stopped there, if we could have lived pure and clean since then, that would have been more than enough. I don't know about you, but uh, I fall into that sin thing every once in a while, far too often. that the world through him might be saved. So he goes to Jerusalem, then look down here at verse 22. After these things came Jesus and the disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. Chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, Jerusalem, Judea. To get baptized, uh, you, needed to, you needed to get saved just like you do here. That, that was proof of their surrender to him. So he goes to, from Jerusalem to Judea, preaches there, a bunch of people get saved and starts discipling them. Verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, for he must go through Samaria. He just got started on his earthly ministry and he's already been to Jerusalem 
Judea, and now he must needs go through Samaria. Uh, to, to get to, if this was, if this was Jerusalem, and uh, we were up in, in Capernaum, Capernaum, however you want to pronounce it, and we want to go to the temple, and all the men were required to go to the temple three times a year, you have to, you have to get through Samaritan land. To get to Samaritan land, they would not go through. They're not going to take 90 all the way straight through. It's the straight way. No, they're going to take Route 20, and they're going to go all the way around. It added, depending upon who you read, anywhere from 15 to 30 miles to go all the way, because they didn't want to go through the mixed race. And Jesus said, I must needs go to Samaria. So he goes to Jerusalem, he goes to Judea, he goes to Samaria. Verse 5, Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave unto his disciples. He, he meets the woman of the well. Verse 7, There came a, cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Well, they have the discussion about water. And uh, at the end of verse 9, it says, for, uh, he, she said, what, what are you doing talking to me? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, verse 10, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And she said, Living water? You don't have anything to draw with. How, what, what's this living water that you're talking about? Uh, verse 13, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of, springing, uh, well of water spring up unto everlasting life. There's that, there's that eternality again, everlasting life. And uh, they have the discussion. Now, I don't recommend this, but she challenges him a little bit, and he deals with her sin. No, I'm not going to sit down and talk to somebody and say, by the way, I noticed you had all kinds of these beer cans. What are you, a drunkard? I'm, not, I'm trying to lead somebody to the Lord. I'm not going to point out their sin. If, as we just walk through the Scriptures, they're going to figure it out soon enough uh, what their sin is. But this is how Jesus dealt with her uh, in, in this particular instance. We get over here to uh, verse 23. But now the hour cometh, uh, but the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. They were having this discussion about where she was supposed to worship and how she was supposed to worship. The woman saith, verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. And in Larry's world, this is what I picture. Jesus is sitting at the well. Can I use you? <laughs> and he's talking to this lady. And they're having this discussion. They have the discussion about the water and everything. And she says, you know, they say that when the Messiah cometh, he's going to tell us all things. And look at that again. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I think there was that, that, that stop where he looked her right into the eye and said, that's me. And there was a pause and he let that sink in. Oh man, that just, it would almost send chills down me. That's me. 
the one that they've been talking about, I'm here. What's her, what's her response to that? <clears throat> and upon this, uh, his disciples come, verse 28, Then the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Well, you talk about a mission field. Here this woman has a very unsavory past. She knows a bunch of men from the city. She didn't care what her reputation was from the past. All she knew was the Savior is here. And she goes running and telling them, you need to come and hear this guy. You need to come and meet him. The Savior is here. That's her. Are you like me, where it's a struggle to pass out a tract? Where it's a struggle to try and witness to somebody? Where it's a little bit of a struggle to, to force yourself to be able to say a good word about God and how God saved you and changed your life? Sometimes I think we need to dwell. Forgetting those things which are behind. I don't think we should forget all those things which are behind. Remember where it is that we came from. Remember what it is that God did for us so that when we see the people, we say, let me tell you what God did for me. <clears throat> Come and see it. Verse 30. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. We're down here in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he bowed there two days. And many more believed because of his own words. And he said unto the woman, uh, and said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. The importance of giving your testimony clearly. The importance of letting people know that he died for our sin, not just to take us to heaven. The importance of them, for them to read it for themselves. I, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, but there's something about being able to read the scriptures for themselves. Jeff Christian taught me a very valuable lesson here uh, last time he was home. He and I were sitting around the, the breakfast table just drinking coffee and visiting and he was telling me about a teaching in school and the, the, just the uphill struggle it is day after day, not just the life, but trying to be a, a witness and a testimony in a, in a communist country where you, you just got to be kind of blow bored almost all the time about it, except for when they're over at the church or they're in their house and, and uh, they have a Bible study on Friday night. They let some of the people know that... Uh, Cheryl and I and Pastor were coming. He said, you guys ought to come every weekend. We had almost 35 people show up because they were not just curious about the meeting the Americans and, and Jeff and Helen's pastor, but they'd been coming because of the Word of God in their language. He's not just giving it to them in English. It's for them to read it from the, for themselves. And Jeff said the turnaround for him was instead of reading them a scripture, and, and, uh, and telling, explaining it to him, he says, you read it to me and you tell me what it says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay, what, what does that mean? He says their understanding, he says you figure out where their understanding is, but he says their understanding seems to be much better because they're participating. I never thought about that. 
I've always, I've always tried to explain it. That, that has helped me in, uh, in talking to people in several different instances. Let them read it for themselves in their own language. The Savior of the world. So now we've got Jesus went to Jerusalem, chapter 2, Judea, chapter 3 and 4. He went to uh, Samaria. What about the uttermost? Well, in, uh, let me see, in John chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. Turn back to Mark chapter 7. In John chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. And in Mark chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. So we're, we're kind of keeping everything in proper order. So right after Mark chapter 6, verse 32, we, we have the feeding of the 5,000. We get to Mark chapter 7. And over here in verse 24, Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man to know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, she lived in what we call today Lebanon. They referred to it as Lebanon several times in the Old Testament also. But she's a Greek. She's a Gentile. She besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. So Jesus starts in, goes to Jerusalem, goes up to Jerusalem. We see Nicodemus get saved. Jerusalem, Judea. He goes out to the wilderness, teaches in the, in, to the Judeans, to the, the, the nationals there. Bunch of them get saved, get discipled, get baptized. Then he goes through and into Samaria and spends at least two days there preaching and teaching and several of them get saved. We believe on him, not because of what you said, lady, but we heard him for ourselves. Now these are a mixed race. They're half Jewish and half Gentile and it's just a conglomerated mess. But when we get to the Syrophoenician lady, she's a Gentile just like all the rest of us. She's a Greek She's a long ways from the lineage of a Jewish nation and a nation of Israel. She's just a full-blown lost person just like you and I. She, might, she could have been Italian. She could have been Ukrainian. She could have been Polish. She could have been English. I don't know what's your background, but she could have been from your country. She's, she's a Greek. It's a very unusual passage, and I'm not, and I don't have a phone yet. Would you get a clock? Someplace, please. <laughs> put it on the wall. Put it up here. I love my phone down there. What time is it? 720. 7.20. Should have been done five minutes ago, probably. <clears throat> so the, the, Lord deals, uh, the Lord deals with a situation, heals the daughter. Over in, uh, over in Matthew chapter 15, he says to the woman, O woman, great is thy faith. I think she believed on him and got saved just because of that statement. Great is thy faith. So when Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 to the disciples, and he passes, passed on to us, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. I want you to go into all the world. He set the example. What would Jesus do? He set the example. He set the pattern. We start from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, or Auburn, New York, and we just start going until we find ourselves in the uttermost. I have found myself in the uttermost several times. I don't have time to go into it tonight. Maybe we'll talk about it uh, a little bit later. But uh, turn over to John. Turn back to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. 
Jesus not only commands the disciples to go into all the world, and we take that and we pass that down from generation to generation, but he prayed for us. He prayed for them, but he also prayed for us. In uh, John, uh, John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer, not our Father which art in heaven, but the Lord's Prayer where he teaches the disciples how to pray. And he prays for them, and we're not going to go through all that. But down here in John chapter 7 and in uh, verse 18, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world, talking about the disciples. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He's not just talking about the Apostle Paul is going to come along and preach in Thessalonica and Athens and Rome and all these places. He's not just talking about the Matthew that uh, I forgot where Matthew went over to Spain or something. He's not just talking about the disciples. He prayed for us. There's a, there's a kind of a cute song that's out there that's very unscriptural, I think, that... Uh, while, while he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I, I think that's a stretch, to be quite honest. I don't think, as he was dying on the cross, there for that three hours or so, that Larry Ingalls or my face flashed before him. Makes for a great song. But I do believe that he prayed for us. I look at that again. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their Word. They gave us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Paul gave us two-thirds of the, of the New Testament. It's through their word as we read it, as it's preached and taught to us, as we respond to it, that we get saved and we begin to grow spiritually. He prayed for us clear back there. He's up in heaven praying for us today. Not just for people to get saved, but praying for us to be obedient. Praying for us to follow through with the surrender, the sacrifice, and the sending. Praying for us to take that next step. Praying for us to grow spiritually. Praying for us to be serious about the Word of God. Praying for us to be, to be serious about training, training our children. A little rabbit trail over here. Uh, why is it that parents are all, they just fall all over these little babies when they're born and they're cute. They just look like babies to me, all wrinkly and red, and uh, they're so cute. No, they look like a baby, okay? They look like a baby. Wait till they're about one or something. And, uh, but they get all excited about the babies, and then they turn into toddlers. Oh, there's kid. There's terrible twos. I can't wait for them to get through the terrible... But at somewhere along the line, you realize, I need to get a handle on these children, or they're going to drive me nuts. And uh, we need to instill a little bit of discipline in them. And so along about, I don't know, fifth grade or so, sixth grade, they start responding and getting paying attention. And maybe they get saved so they get a heart change and uh, start growing spiritually. And then we back off and we don't get concerned about the children until just before they get ready to leave the home. And they go off to college someplace. And we hope that they find a good spouse and that, they're, that uh, you gave them enough interest in godly spiritual things that they're going to live their life right, choose the right mate, and make right choices the rest of their life. And they find out that they don't. You know why? Because we backed off here when they were about fifth grade. And we just allowed them to do stuff and do stuff and we didn't pay close attention to what was going on in the home. 
And the parents get all concerned at that end, and they get real concerned on this end. He gave them to us to train them for about 18 years. I realize that's a rabbit trail, but I've been dealing on this end of the stream for far too long with parents who got concerned when it was too late. It's part of knowing his word and growing spiritually in all areas of our life and then teaching them so that when they leave home, yes, they're going to do some different things, but are they going to swing back? Not swing way off, but they're going to swing back to center in what they've been taught, what they've heard, what they know is right. That's our job. It's not pastor's job. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. He gave those children to us for those 18 years. Once they're out of the home, it's a little bit difficult to guide that ship. It's a slow turnaround sometimes. John 17, verse 18 there again. Fill in the blank. As thou hast sent me into the... Even so have I also sent them into the... John 3.16, for God so loved the... Mark 16.15, go ye into all the... Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew 5.14, ye are the light of the... It's our responsibility. It's our time. It's our generation. Today's the day. Now is the time for us to be able to uh, stand up and speak up and do our part. There's multitudes have gone before us had a chance to go through a, through a war museum while we were over there in, uh, in Minsk. And uh, the, reason they're, the reason they're not smiling, it's not just the old people my age that went through, and my folks' age that went through World War II, have gone through the Afghanistan. They had their Afghanistan, just like we've had our Afghanistan and Syria and all that stuff. Uh, it's not just that, uh, you know, that they've had a hard life. They've had a hard life. We don't read too much about it or hear too much about it. Stalin killed more people than Hitler ever thought about killing. They, they, we, in, the, in this war museum we were reading about, and I had kind of forgotten about it, but it came back fresh to my mind. Uh, placard after placard after placard where there's just a picture, just, just, just a a photo that was taken for an instant that you, you say, I have no idea who those people are or whatever, what was going on that instant that photo was taken or whatever happened to them. But it would say, a village of 178,000 removed in two days and moved to a different location. And as they put them on a train, over half of them died going to the next location. It just, it was information like that city after city, after city, after city. They've had a hard life. They don't have anything to smile about. The importance of getting the word of God to them. Now I'm dealing with Eastern Europe, but there, there's, there's places there in, brother, uh, in, in Brazil that Brother Matthews can talk about. Uh, Joy's been to the Philippines. Uh, Hannah and her husband <laughs> went blank, have been to Romania. If you travel outside the United States, you say, oh, we, we've had it difficult. We had a civil war. Yeah. 
We've not lived through year after year after year after year after year after year of devastation. If there was a God, where is he? That's their attitude. God didn't show up. He didn't take care of grandma. He didn't take care of all my family that was killed back then. We, we struggled through life. Now we have freedom. Now we have prosperity. I didn't see God in the past, and so I'm going for all of it that I can get now. And it's really, really difficult to get them to stop and think and realize there is a God. So sometimes you have to start dealing with listening to the birds sing in the morning, planting a little seed here and a little seed there, getting them to realize it wasn't millions and millions and millions of years ago. It's in the beginning, God. But it's a big hurdle to get over. That's why it's so much easier to pray to a statue so much easier to go pray and confess your sins to a man. It's so much easier to have religion in your, in your life where you can feel like you're doing something even though you come out empty at the end of it. At least I'm attempting to get to know God. At least I'm attempting to please God. You, you guys, you talk about the Bible and you come in and you talk about you must be born again and everything, and I just, I just struggle with it. Get them to read the word. Do not quit, whether it be the guys that you're working with, the, your neighbors, your relatives, your family members. I can't get the gospel to everyone. I can get the gospel to about 300 people a day. I've discovered that. With all of us working together on a courier's team, we can get out uh, 10 to 15,000 John Romans in a day to be a witness in their home to be, for them to be able to read it, but we still got to get them to read it. What are you doing about surrendering your life to do whatever God wants you to do? Doing something sacrificial, something that's well-pleasing to the Lord, it talks about over there. A, a, a sweet savor, talks about, I think it's over in Philippians. And then sending. We did! Look at all these people! Hey, uh, Larry, aren't you, aren't you paying attention? We've got people in, in all these countries over here. We've, we've uh, I don't even know where we are here. Where are we? Oh, we're in Romania. They're, they're, uh, we're, we're the, the folks in Germany, we got the church going over there in Walker's, Walkersville. We got the Christians in Belarus. And I can, just, if I, got, I can go all the way around the room. That's great. That's what they're doing. And I'm glad that you're sending money over to them to be able for them to be able to continue to do the work. For example, uh, just one more uh, bit of information, but now what time is it? Uh, before I quit, <laughs> Jeff and Helen get to teach English to educated people to want to know English to make their life better as they sow the seed to them during the chapel service and everything. Isn't that great? So let me get this straight. Jeff and Helen Christian have taken all this money from the states, in, uh, and they live over there to be a witness. Where's their church? I'll, take, I'll show you the picture of their church. You can't put a name. You can't put uh, Wildwood Baptist or Freedom Baptist on the outside of the church because 
you stuck your head up just a little bit too high, and the government official that lives right across the street who said, you will never build a church in my neighborhood across from me, lives there. And so you just put up a nice building that looks like a house that everybody knows is a church. You just don't put the name church on it because if you stick your head up too high, they're going to cut it off and you're all done. So Jeff and Helen, they have. They don't pastor. Of course, Helen doesn't pastor. Uh, They don't pastor a church, but they've got some men that they've trained that are pastoring churches. But, okay, let me get well, they must be living pretty good then because they've got money coming from the States and then they're teaching English. I've heard that depending upon the country that they pay really good money to teach English. You know how much they get? Nothing. They have to pay, they have to pay $1,700 a semester to have the ability to teach English. They have to pay to have the freedom to teach English. That's the rules. So I'd throw that out in case anybody wants to throw some extra money at the Christians next time they come through. Why stand ye gazing? Where are you going? What are you going to do this, this year after missions conference? Every, everyone standing, heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, it's a very familiar passages of scripture. Lord, thank you for showing us plainly by you being the example what you not only would do, but what you did do. Lord, help us to be found faithful. Help us to be found busy. Help us to have some of that concern like the blind men did that couldn't keep it to themselves, like the Samaritan woman did that couldn't keep it to herself. Lord, may we be a witness and a testimony to those that we come in contact to speak a good word for you. Lord, would you help us to examine our heart and our life to see what it is you'd have us to do. Is there something else, something more? you'd have us to do? Is there something more you would have us to give? Is there something that we can do to be an encouragement and a help to the missionaries that are already supported to let them know there's some people back at Freedom Baptist Church that love them and see them as the leaders and the heroes that they really are. Lord, help us to be an encouragement and a blessing. In Christ's name I pray. Pastor?